0: Thank you so much for joining us for another Anchor at Home. Today, we're going to wrap up our current series on the armor of God. Uh, As I was preparing for this morning, I kept thinking about our nation's armed forces and how especially over the past hundred years or so, our military has been involved in a number of conflicts, battles, and even wars around the globe. While our military, no doubt, has engaged in its fair share of conflict throughout our nation's history, here's the part that really grabbed my attention. The conflict and the warfare hasn't been constant, meaning that there have been times, even years, of peace and rest. With that said, it's my personal opinion, one of the main reasons why the United States military has been so successful during times of conflict and war is because when they experience those times of peace and rest, they have continued to make training and preparing for future conflicts top priority. In other words, our military leaders have made the decision to not allow the men and women under their command to become lackadaisical, half-hearted, lethargic, and passive because they lack a current mission. Instead, they have used those times of peace for their benefit by staying trained up and prepared because they know in all reality it will only be a matter of time before they are called back into action." I bring this up because, to put it plainly, uh, I want us to know that the same goes for us as believers, meaning that when we consider the armor that God has given us and our personal responsibility to use them as we engage in spiritual warfare, we need to remember that our spiritual battles will come and they will go, just like the wars in the natural. In other words, they won't happen every day. But like our military men and women that shouldn't really give us a reason to become lackadaisical, half-hearted, lethargic, and passive. Or we could even say comfortable when it comes to staying in tune with God and preparing ourselves in the spiritual weapons that He has given us for our future spiritual battles and crisis that will, without a doubt, come our way. So with all that in mind, let's turn our attention to our last piece of armor. This is our uh, main offensive weapon that's found in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you're taking notes this morning, uh, the title of today's message is simply Arming Yourself with the Word of God. Let's take a look at our core passage for this series again, starting in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of of the evil one. And then it says in verse 17, take on the helmet of salvation. Here's our key part. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So to gain a better understanding of the sword of the spirit Paul is referring to here, as we have done for several weeks now, I want to turn our attention quickly to the types of sword a Roman soldier would have used during the time of this writing. In fact, it has been well documented historically that a Roman soldier could have possibly used up to five different types of swords during this time period. So let's take a quick look at each one. The first type of sword was a uh, very long and broad sword that actually required the soldier to use both hands when he would swing it because it was so heavy. Apart from its weight and the plain old exertion that it would have taken to swing this type of sword over and over again, the other thing that made this type of sword so limited is that it was only sharp on one side, meaning that one side was sharp and the other side was blunt and that blunt side wasn't really that useful in a fight. The second type of sword was much shorter and narrow than the first one. It was approximately 17 inches long, And the blade was two inches wide. So while this one was much lighter and easier to swing than the first one, it too was limited because it was only sharp on one side. The third type was even shorter than the second, in fact it was so short it was actually carried in a small hidden sheath under the soldier's outer coat. We even more commonly refer to this type of sword as a dagger. And then the fourth type of sword a Roman soldier would have used was a long, extremely slender type of sword, almost what you and I would see in one of our modern day fencing competitions. And then there was the fifth one that Paul obviously was referring to here in Ephesians chapter six. We know this is true because the Greek word that he chose to use, this sword was 19 inches long and it was razor sharp, not just on one, but on both sides of the blade, making it a two edged sword. Another thing that is worthy pointing out concerning this type of sword is that the very end of it had a unique design that literally caused it to turn upward, causing the point of the blade to be extra pointy and extra sharp. It has been said that this 5th type of sword was more dangerous and literally uh, more deadly than the others because not only was it two-edged, but it was actually designed in such a way with its curved tip that just before the Roman soldier withdrew his blade from the stomach of his enemy, he would twist the sword so that it would actually, uh, when he would pull that sword out of the other man, it would literally cause his entrails, his guts, his inside to be pulled out of his body along with the sword, causing certain death. Now, I'm aware that that last part might be a little graphic for some. In fact, I'm hearing my mom's voice in my head when I'm saying it, but but I believe Paul was wanting us to see how effective the sword of the Spirit can be against our enemy when it is used properly, and even how deadly it can be against the plans of the enemy when we use it. All right, as great as an illustration as that is, Paul didn't stop there. He continued to give us more information about the sword we have been given, because Obviously, we all know that we haven't been given a literal, physical sword. Paul goes on to tell us in Ephesians 6, 17 that our sword is the Word of God. I want to sit here for a minute and focus on that simple, the Word of God. When Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit, wrote this, he chose a unique and important word to describe the Word of God. You know, so often when we think about the Word of God, we think about Think about it in light of uh, the Greek word logos, which is, you know, the, the written word from Genesis to Revelation. But that wasn't the word that Paul chose to use here. He actually chose to use the word rhema, which is a quickened or a spoken word. Now, to be clear, it's impossible to receive a rhema word from God apart from the logos or the written word of God. In short, I want us to understand today that it's impossible to separate our sword from the spirit from our belt of truth. Now, for clarity's sake, maybe the word rhema is new to you. So what does a rhema word look like in our lives in a practical way? For example, have you ever been reading your Bible and a particular verse jumped off the page at you, like it would exploded in your heart? Have you uh, ever been in prayer, pouring out your heart, like you're a mess, and out of nowhere comes this verse, uh, you know, in your mind, and in an instant like that, you just know everything's going to be okay? Have you ever been in prayer, uh, really pressing in for a certain situation, really praying for a person, and a verse comes out of your spirit that fits perfectly, giving you direction and how you should pray? Here's another example. Have you ever been walking around not even thinking about God like your mind is completely elsewhere when out of nowhere, some verse or some biblical truth comes out of nowhere and like hits you upside the head? You know, when it hits you upside the head, not only does it turn the revelation light on, but it actually transforms your life. Have you ever been in the spot where you're searching for an answer? Like you're asking God what to do. You're, you're, you know, longing to hear his voice. And then a Bible reference comes to your mind. like Literally, you see a Bible reference, the book and the numbers, and you go look it up because you have no clue what it means. And when you go find it, you you discover it's exactly the answer that you were looking for. And lastly, have you ever been in a spot where you're ministering to someone and it's like a train, one verse after another, just keeps flowing out of your heart and out of your mouth? However the moment looked like to you, what I want you to remember is, is how you knew with every part of your being that God just spoke to you in a clear, unmistakable, undeniable, unquestionable, certain, and definite way. Like, can you remember when, in your moment of need, at a specific time, or for a special purpose, how the Holy Spirit supernaturally dropped a word into your heart or reminded you of one of His promises, and how in that instant, all that confusion, all that crazy emotions that were just rocking your world? stopped and faith began to flood your entire being it was at that moment you know guys it wasn't just it was no longer a uh, just words on a page but it was at that moment the word of God came alive in you that is a rhema word a word that is quickened in you it literally revives and restores the life of God inside of you that is what I believe Jesus was referring to in John chapter 14, verse 26, when he said this. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, here's the key part, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Guys, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm reminded that God gave us a promise that we can have a life that's filled with the literal rhema words of God, like an own time word from God. The reason I love this is because it's an assurance that wherever we find ourselves in the moment of need, God's not going to leave us hanging. Can I also give you a side note here? Notice how Jesus said that he will bring back things to our remembrance or our memory. Now, this might sound silly, but... I've never been reminded of something that I didn't already know, meaning like I never had somebody walk up to me and go, hey, do you remember when we did and I wasn't even there? So once again, this reiterates the importance that we talked about at the top of preparing and meditating on the Word of God in those times of peace and rest so that when conflict and crisis and spiritual warfare begins to happen in our lives, that the Holy Spirit actually has something to draw from from the inside of us to create a rhema word for our our lives. All right, let's shift gears because I want us to turn our attention to what transforms a Rama word into the powerful offensive weapon that is known as the sword of the spirit. I also want us to take a look at how we deploy our weapon and why it becomes so authoritative and effective against the plan of the enemy. You're probably familiar with this verse, but the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Revelation confirms this in chapter 2, verse 12, when it says this. It says, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This is the message from the one. Who's the one? It's talking about Jesus with the sharp two-edged sword. Now, what makes these two verses so unique, not only is the word sword the same word that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, but the word two-edged here, the words two-edged, actually mean two-mouthed, meaning that this word, this sword, is meant to come out of our mouths. It is meant to be spoken. That's why the Bible tells us in Revelations 19, verse 11 through 16, it really brings confirmation to this when it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider, who's the rider? It's Jesus, was named Faithful and True, for He judges fairly and wages righteous war. And then it says in verse 12, his eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. And then it says in verse 15, it says from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nation's. I want you to notice when Jesus uh, returns to wage the greatest spiritual warfare that will ever take place. The sword is not in his hand. It is actually in his mouth. So guess what, gang? That means the same goes for us, that the sword of the spirit must come out of our mouth. All right. Let me show you how this Two edged or this two mouth process really works. We all know that when God first spoke his word and inspired biblical writers to record it, it became a one mouth word because it had only come out of one mouth, God's mouth. It was God breathed at that time. This also meant that when he spoke it, he put one edge on it. But when the Holy Spirit reaches down into our spirit and begins to pull out or begins to bring back to remembrance the word we have stored on the inside of us for a special purpose. He does this not only to ignite our hearts with faith, guys, but he actually wants us to begin to speak out that rhema word because he knows it is only at that point it truly becomes true. Two mouth, two edge, sword of the spirit. So as you can see, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the anointing. He's the one that brings the authority and the power. He's the one that brings the word. But we have to be the ones who deploy this deadly weapon by speaking it into our situation. That is why I believe God repeatedly tells us in the Bible to decree, to declare, to speak, to cry out, to shout and even confess what he has already spoken to us. Because he knows, I believe his word isn't as effective against the attacks of the enemy and the difficulties of this life as long as it remains in the storehouse of our hearts. Which means this, guys, it means God's word can have a great impact on our inner life and our heart as we read it. But it's only when we begin to speak it out can it actually begin to have an impact on the outer life or the world around us. So on that note... Over the years, I've met a a lot of incredible people who feel uncomfortable with speaking out the word of God when they pray. Uh, In other words, these type of people typically prefer to sit there in their seat and quietly uh, pray in their minds. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not uh, saying anything's wrong with that. I'd be lying to you if I said i never do that. But I want to point out one thing here. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it says this. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Then it says in verse 3, That it was at that time the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. I think this qualifies as a uh, spiritual warfare moment. It says in verse four, it says, but Jesus answered him saying, notice it doesn't say that Jesus answered him thinking. It says that Jesus answered him saying, it is written We know that he said the same thing, not just once, but he actually said it three times to defeat the schemes and the plans of the enemy at this moment. So I also want to remind you that Jesus spoke to the storm, that Jesus spoke to the fig tree. Why did He do this? I believe it's because Jesus knew the power of a two-edged, two-mouthed sword against the plans of the enemy. So I simply want to encourage all of us today to do what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, when it says this, that we need to follow in His steps, that we need to follow His example Listen, guys, I can promise you as we begin to step out, we begin to declare and we begin to pray God's word out loud. I don't think we'll regret it because I think we'll begin to see the effects of God's anointing and power begin to change certain situations. So before we close today, can I encourage you on one more thing? Years ago, when I was still living in North Carolina, my oldest son, who was four years old at the time, he and I were walking through our neighborhood when out of nowhere, he looked up at me and he said, dad, when I grow up, I want to be a missionary. I got to be honest with you. When I heard him say that, I was stunned. I was completely shocked because I didn't even know this four-year-old knew what a missionary was. But as I stood there, kind of dumbfounded, he said this. He said, Dad, after I learn all of the stories, get that after I've learned all of the stories in the Bible, I'm going to go around the world and I'm going to pray for people and I'm going to bless them. As sweet and as innocent as it was and as uh, memorable that moment was for me as a dad, I want to encourage you today that you don't have to wait until you know all that the Bible says before you go do great things for God. You can begin right now, guys, right where you are. You know. Over the years, I've met so many people that seem to be ever learning and never doing when it comes to the kingdom of God. I mean, it's like these guys study, they listen to podcasts, they read the Bible, and it's like they're in this continual student mode, which is good, but but it's not good in the sense that they don't have an outflow of the word of God and the revelation in their lives. So, gang, I want to remind all of us today that God didn't give us this armor to sit around in and be idle. Uh, So don't wait. Please begin to ask God to help you to put on the full armor of God. Ask him to help you to deploy your sword of the spirit with great effectiveness in the battles that come your way. Uh, Because to put it frankly, guys, the rest of the body needs you in a fight. So if we can wrap all this up. Please listen to how the Apostle Paul brought this portion of Scripture concerning the armor of God to a close because once again, it tells us the purpose of the armor that we have and it leads us in direction to what we need to do with it. It says this in Ephesians 6 verse 18. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So with that final note in mind, let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person That is with us today. Lord, I simply ask in the name of Jesus that they would put on the full armor of God. God, I pray that they would tighten up the belt, that they would put on the breastplate of righteousness, that they would put on the shoes of peace. God, that they would uh, wear the helmet of salvation, that they would take the shield of faith. And God, lastly, that they would grab a hold of the sword of the spirit. And Father, I pray that as they do so, God, that they wouldn't remain idle. But Father, I pray that you would show them how to deploy what you have given them. And God, I pray that as they step out in faith, God, as they step out with courage, God, that you'll meet them there. And God, they will see that truly your word says that those who know you shall do great exploits in your name. And so, Lord, we bless you. We honor you, God, for using all of us. God, for your glory and for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. Look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.